but we also have the opportunity to have a spirit of adoption, a heart mm-hmm. for adoption, because we know that the Lord has a heart for adoption. We There's that song that says, break my heart for what breaks yours. We want our hearts to be broken for what breaks God's heart. So then we're moved into action. <laughs> Welcome to the Insta Mama Show. Hi, this is Rachel. And this is Natalie. And we are the Insta Mamas. We are sisters with a podcast. And we talk about everything from faith, healthy, clean living, adoption, foster care, motherhood, and everything in between. Thanks for listening. Hello. Today's topic is surprisingly about adoption. What? <laughs> it's funny because this is really an adoption, foster care. You know, we talk about our faith and and all that stuff, but it really is a lot about our journeys in parenthood, which we're both adoptive moms, but mm-hmm. we're like, wow, we've done a lot of topics. Let's do an adoption topic because we've kind yeah. of... We haven't done an adoption topic in a while. We've, had, we've interviewed a lot of moms, which has been really exciting, mm-hmm. and I think that makes it... A little bit broader of an audience reach I guess is what I'd say but really the reason we started our podcast is we wanted to spread more awareness just more of the heart behind adoption and the spirit of adoption and yeah because all Christians should have a spirit of adoption because we're all adopted and into God's family none of us you know we understand it when you adopt a child you don't say here's your room here's this, you're only allowed to use this stuff in the house. Mm -hmm. When you adopt a child, you say, you're a son and daughter. You can come in, open the fridge. You have all the rights of familyhood. You're you're not just some stranger on the street. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's how God is. He's, and I think sometimes we as Christians struggle to accept our adoption. Yeah. We know we're loved by God, but then God's like, all right, you have all the responsibilities, but also all the blessings of sonship, of, Mm -hmm. of being my child. And we kind of live like we're a neighbor or we live like we're a guest in God's house. Yeah. But we're not. We are. We share in his inheritance. Mm -hmm. Like the son of God's inheritance. Let that sink in. That's pretty cool. Yeah. You know, um, when you, we don't have as much. I mean, people definitely leave inheritances to their children and stuff. But it's not so much like we don't value the name being passed down as much. We don't value, in our culture at least, we don't value all these things that were valued in the Bible um, or even just the Bible times, but we, so I think we kind of lose it a little bit in our culture. We want to kind of zhuzh it up. I don't yeah. know what's the word. Get people excited about our inheritance. Well, here. we just, you know, and it's kind of exciting because we just did a farmer's market and there were so many people there that said, yeah, I've thought about adoption. Like, tons and tons of people who've said and I think how many people are walking around in this world who thought about adoption but maybe has reservations or doesn't want to look more into it because they hear oh it's so expensive I can't do that or oh it's so but there's just all these little myth busters that if you take the time to look into it or maybe it's just out of fear like I'm too scared because I've seen those kids on TV who like grow up the way they do or how hard it can be and well let's dispel like just some of that today with truth yeah because that's the thing we see in media all the negatives about adoption but the let's go back to the bible there's beauty what god can do with broken things Mm -hmm. like yes adoption comes out of brokenness 
but how many of us have come from a perfect cushy life like we've all come out of brokenness whether we've had two parent homes one parent home step parent home adoption like there's all this brokenness because we live we've said it again and again we live in a fallen world but we have such a merciful and good god that he takes brokenness and brings it back full circle mm -hmm. so i mean let's just go back to one of the oldest oldest stories in the bible about adoption is Moses and you'll find that in Exodus I mean he goes for like the whole first like five books of the Bible you'll yeah. find Moses but but the actual story that we like kind of tell in our mm -hmm. like children's ministry is in the part where he is adopted but honestly even the brokenness that Moses's life starts out with leads him to be the greatest leader in Israel later mm -hmm. you know yeah I mean um, and he Oh, it's just amazing, Moses' life. And where that came from is at the time in the Egyptians, the Pharaoh was very hatred towards the... Um, the Israelites? The yeah, Israelites. at the time, yeah. the Hebrews, whatever you want to call them. Yeah, so they were slaves um, to the Egyptians, and they were growing in numbers, and God had really blessed the Israelites. Because God had promised Abraham, I'm going to bless... And, and they were so they growing, just kept having growing. babies. And Pharaoh and his arrogance got scared and was like, these people are going to go and overthrow me. So he made a decree to kill every male child up until two years old. Well, this is what's crazy, too. Before he came up with this scheme, he told the midwives, he said, you know, oh, yeah. go mm -hmm. kill the baby boys as they're being born. And the midwives did not want to do it. They, the Egyptian midwives trusted God, and they, they said that the... The Hebrew women had the babies too fast for them to get there in time. Oh, yeah. They're like, the Hebrew women, they do things differently. And God blessed those midwives. Mm -hmm. It says he blessed those midwives because they just couldn't do it. Didn't he bless them with their own families? Yeah. Because can yeah. you imagine, like, being a midwife, somebody who delivers baby and be told to kill all the male babies when mm -hmm. they're born? So then he was furious. So then he just made a decree for the soldiers to just go out and kill all the babies. And Maybe there was boys, yeah. a woman named Jacobed. And she, when her baby was born, he was just so beautiful. It said she was, like, taken by his beauty. Like, she couldn't, like, every mom wants to protect her son, but something about his, he was attractive and, like. She just knew there was something special about him, which mm -hmm. with every child there is. I mean, so she tried to hide him as long as she could. And, and it's a miracle she had hid him for three months. Like, yeah. anyone who has a newborn baby is like, they don't stay quiet. And um, so then but she, after three months, she realized she couldn't do it anymore. So she made a basket, and she took him down to the Nile, which was not a safe river. It wasn't just a little, like, easygoing. Like, the Nile was full of predators. It's in Africa, you know. Mm -hmm. And I just can't imagine the mother and the sacrifice and not we, knowing, just totally trusting God with your baby. And we did on Mother's Day, we talked about how people will put a bad light on biological mothers, saying, like, they're so selfish, they gave up their babies. But then I go back to Jacobed, who, and I think of biological mothers, who are literally sending their children off to give them their best chance. I imagine her carefully waiting in the water. I imagine her touching her baby's cheek. I imagine the pain and agony she felt. But she trusted a mighty God. And she, there was something in her that knew, like, this baby is going to be set apart. And Even in the Bible, it talks how she carefully waterproofs the basket. Mm -hmm. And she probably thought about it for months, how she was going to do this, how she was going to protect her son. And then the agony of the day coming where I have to let him go. 
Can you imagine like having your baby for three months and then it's time to let them go? But this is what's so amazing about the Lord is she sends this baby and he gets picked up by the Pharaoh's daughter. Of all people. It could have been any Egyptian woman. And it was his beauty too that... But it's the Pharaoh's daughter, the Pharaoh who's killing all these babies. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure she had um, his little sister follow him through the Nile. Moses' little sister. Yeah. And then when they found her, she was like, oh no, how am I going to feed this baby? And here comes Moses' sister saying, oh, I know an Egyptian woman. So this is what's so great. God restores that, lets his mom be in his life, and she gets to nurse him. And then she also gets paid for it to Mm -hmm. nurse her own kid. Yeah. And I think that's like the first open adoption in the Bible where where the biological mother is helping in not necessarily the raising, but they're involved in the child's life. And she got to, um, and like Pharaoh's mother, or sorry, Pharaoh's daughter, Moses's adopted mom, knew he was a Hebrew. Yeah. She wasn't like, oh, it's this random baby. She knew who he was. She knew it was her, what her father had, the decree he had made. But she, he probably had to make an exception for her. So, but she loved him and she saw him. And because he grew up as a Hebrew, at, in the house of Pharaoh, he saw both sides, and God used that throughout his whole life. Yeah, and w- the cool thing, too, is I just think how Jacoba just trusted. Like, she trusted that God had set her child apart and to send him off into the reeds. And then to know that she had that opportunity, that short, short time, however long they nursed. I think they said an average about two years they used to nurse kids. Yeah, and I think back then they could even nurse them along. And like a nurse would keep with the baby till they were sometimes four or five yeah. because you do more than just nursing them. You take care of them in the hardest time and then the 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 rich parent gets yeah. to come back when they're cute and and, and don't the have short, diapers anymore. Yeah, and the short short time that she had with him, she got to instill the word of God. But then for Moses to have all that strength and all that, you have to know that his adopted mom loved him and what brought him up mm-hmm. well, you know. We don't I mean it's But it must have been so hard the first time and then also the second time to give him up because Mm -hmm. we know that she has passed away sometime between the time when he leaves Egypt and comes back she's gone Mm -hmm. but even Moses's brokenness from being ripped away from his family from his biological family we see it he murders someone he's Mm -hmm. he says oh you know these people they're the Egyptians are treating um, the Hebrew slaves so badly and so he kills an Egyptian and then he tries to like break up a quarrel between two of his fellow Hebrews and they're like, we saw you murder an Egyptian. You have no right over us. Yeah, like are you going to murder us too like you did that one? And and like Moses had to go and have a journey before he could be the leader. Mm-hmm. He had grown up and he was in the house of Pharaoh, but he God had to do all this work and before he would be a proper leader. And so I do think it's all connected to brokenness and because his heart was to help the hebrews when he grew up and he realized how horribly they were being treated he wanted to do something about it he just didn't have the godly vision yet and the maturity and that's what happened with the murder like obviously i know people say there's a lot of murder in the bible and stuff just so you know god doesn't condone murder he does not he's it's one of the ten commandments don't do it yeah and it's a sin 
And Moses had to go in the desert and live the harsh lands, be a shepherd in order to humble himself to come back and serve these people. And then he became one of the greatest leaders. Like, yeah. that's the cool thing. And, of course, Ugh. we know the rest of Moses' life. He parts the Red Sea. He takes, you know, but he had to go back into the home where he was raised and stand up to that Pharaoh. And even, like... Who would have been like his grandfather. Yeah, and closeness. And if you ever watched the movie The The Prince of Egypt, it's obviously like a Hollywood rendition. It's really beautifully done. I think it captures the heart of the story, but it kind of misses the details a lot of times. Yeah. You know, but I mean, it would take a lot of bravery to go and stand up against. He lived in both, in both worlds. He lived mm-hmm. in the godless, all these crazy... Egyptian gods, worlds, all these crazy mm-hmm. worship, and then he also knew about the true God of Israel, and you know, and it just ah, you should go read wow. all of his story in the Bible. It's, and I'm praying that if you go read it now, that God will give you a different view of it because we learned it as children, but when you go read it as an adult and read every single word, don't read the children's Bible version because mm-hmm. in the children's Bible version, you don't even hear about Jacobed. Like being his wet nurse. Mm-hmm, a mm-hmm. lot of times they leave that out. I guess it adds drama to the story. And it's hard for people to understand open adoption. It yeah. really is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not exactly that because it was a different culture in a different time. But people have a hard time. Open adoption is where someone places their child up for adoption and an adoptive family adopts them. But then the biological parents are still involved in their lives in some way. And sometimes that's as little as like, an email or picture once a month and sometimes that's visiting and like spending certain holidays and stuff together so um but i i would say that most most domestic adoptions are open Mm -hmm. now and people want that they want their they want their son or daughter to know where they came from and also to know that they are they are true heirs in the family they were adopted well and it just opens up like there's two cultures here Like, you have the Hebrew culture and the Egyptian culture. They're two stark different cultures. And he had to be able to walk in both to do what God asked him to do to help free his people. And I know in Adoption Today, it's like you need to be very careful on keeping step with your children's culture, keeping step with... But it's like, okay, that is their heritage, that's their ancestry, but guess what? They are in a new culture, so it's okay to celebrate and bring your adoptive family like our family's filipino our ancestry is filipino my daughter is peruvian and so yes we look up peruvian dishes and we've made this peruvian chicken but she has no heart connection to her ancestry mm-hmm. but what's beautiful is it's like it's important for her to be part of her adoptive family culture too like, and part of the culture we're creating as a family is my daughter is nonverbal, and so we've all been learning sign language. Yeah, and that's we're all trying culture. to give her. We're not deaf. We're not hard of hearing, but we are. You just heard your daughter sneeze in the other room. Mm-hmm. So it's the cutest little sneeze. It's like hit you. <laughs> Anyways, um, it was. Uh, but sign language is a part of our culture to help give our daughter a way to communicate, and we're all learning. Mm-hmm. And um. But it's not, my daughter's from India, sign language is not a language well, there, and you know. So I mean, we just made, American sign language. we just made lupia, which is a Filipino dish, and I taught her how to wrap the little lupia rolls. Of course, she doesn't have it quite down yet because it's very difficult to wrap the little lupias. But As I told hard. her the stories about how my grandfather taught me how to make it and how the cousins would 
sit around in a table and it was kind of fun if you accidentally broke one open because then you'd get to eat it and grandpa would be like don't do it on purpose you know so that is her new culture so now she's living in two parts two different cultures but it's okay to celebrate that she was born that she's been adopted into a new culture well and And i think people feel uncomfortable about that oh don't let her lose her original ancestry her original culture but sometimes your adoptive child may have no connection to that it may feel no connection it just depends on the child and you may have a child who gets older and be like i really want to know more about my culture or i wish my parents would have and that's why we we work very hard to keep our daughter's indian identity and indian culture and we hope to go back to india someday with her and show her where she was mm-hmm. born and show her where she lived but at the same time there are some things that are evil about her culture that we do not celebrate certain holidays well just like with the egyptian culture with Moses there they celebrated all these gods and all these holidays and that go against the Hebrew gods you know Mm -hmm. and so that's where you have to find that fine line where your values lie and I don't know I don't know what I I brought that up it's a little bit controversial but it just made me think of him living in those two different cultures and how God proved himself over and over yeah the priests would come out when Moses was coming and asking to let the people go, his people go, he would show a wonder that God said, I will show you my wonders. Mm-hmm. And then the, the priests of Egypt would come out and copy it and show, hey, we can do it too. But every time God had a, like a foot up, but Pharaoh's heart was still hardened. He still couldn't accept God's goodness and God's like awesome power. And so, um, but finally he did. It mm-hmm. took him losing, Pharaoh losing his own firstborn son. And, ooh, good story. Go back and read the whole thing, but we got to keep moving, or we could talk about Moses this whole hour. I know. I mean, just the story of Moses, his whole life from beginning to end. It's incredible. And, yeah, like Natalie said, I would go read it. It Mm -hmm. starts in Genesis. Yeah, I can, we'll put in the show notes the exact verses and stuff to help you find it easier. But the next one we wanted to talk about is one of my personal favorites, and her name is Esther. And she was living in the time, so we're like fast forwarding in the Bible. We are way past, this is a time in Israel's history. They had been a nation, they had been this like amazing great nation, but they disobeyed God over and over again and they were taken away as captives and they were scattered all over the place. Mm -hmm. And so Esther was living in Persia? Not quite sure. Yeah, I'd have to look it up again. But, um, and she was an orphan and she was being raised by her uncle Mordecai and so this would be an example of relative adoption yeah which was probably a lot more normal in the Bible Um, nowadays it it's more like if a relative is not taking good care of their child and another relative chooses to adopt that one so they don't have to go into foster care or you know things like that so that happens quite a bit nowadays Um, yeah I guess because you don't have as much I mean parents kids do lose both their parents but it's a little bit more of a rarity yeah we don't have orphans from death as much as from neglect and abuse and but i mean it definitely happens there's a car accident or whatever we all should have plans for our children if both of us die which we do we have a Mm -hmm. will um but it's not something that happens often in this country but it definitely still happens in the world and so but i love esther's story because um she really trusts Mordecai. You can tell that 
everything he asks her to do, no matter how hard it is. And if you don't know the story, it's um, this beautiful girl, Esther, is an orphan, and um, King Xerxes is needing a new wife. Um, there's a bunch of drama with that if you want to go read it. But basically, <laughs> he needs a new wife, mistreats his first one. And so they go through the country looking for all the most beautiful women, and there's, I want to say a couple hundred. Yeah, but there's, there's quite a few. It's he, not like they choose five girls. They it's just like, round them out. It's they a, do all these beauty treatments. And, and they spend months and months feeding them good food, doing beauty treatments, and to restore them. Because you know a lot of these women are living in poverty. Um, Esther is, is a foreigner in this country. And so she's But she's absolutely stunningly beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like the Bible makes it clear. Like she stands out in the crowd of like 500 women. She stands out. And I just realized this is kind of a similar story to Moses and Esther. And maybe like God gave them, and I don't know, adoption is this beautiful thing, but I think it's, it made them attractive so people would be drawn to them. Yeah. Which is kind of funny. So my daughter's sign name, you get a sign name, um, and you can look that up if you want to learn more about that. But it's basically, you'll take like the first letter of your name and connect it to some kind of sign that encapsulates their personality. And hers is S for Serbi, but then you you bring the S to your heart and it means like Serbi close to my heart or Serbi who draws people close to me. And I just love that for her because I feel like her her beauty and her beautiful personality just draws people in mm-hmm. and they want to know her story. And I think Esther is the same way, but she hid her identity as because Mordecai told hey don't tell people you're Hebrew like keep it as or Israelite keep it a, a secret um, and that was his wisdom to help protect her and keep her safe and she trusted him and actually her um, I did some research on this her Hebrew name is Hadassah which is from the myrtle plant and its fragrance is only brought out when it's crushed Oh, wow. Hadassah. That's a beautiful name. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. It's no Hipsibah. Rachel wanted to name one of her babies. (laughs) Hipsibah. But it's Hadassah, which is, it's beautiful. And and I think that's such a good metaphor for Esther. Her beauty was shown when she was, when pressure was put on. Yeah. Because she was physically beautiful, but she had to be mentally strong and Mm -hmm. mentally. Well, and what was so special about her relationship with her uncle is he came and stood by the city gate every single day to check on her. Mm-hmm. Like that Even after shows... she was grown and yeah. married off to the king of But he loved <laughs> the whole her. Country. And it wasn't just like, oh, I got this child dumped on me because her parents died. It's genuine care. I took this child into my care. She is mine. And so coming in and checking on her and giving her the advice. and So, so spoiler alert, of all the hundreds of women, she gets chosen to be the queen. and But the queen doesn't necessarily get all the rights that we think she does. Um, the king has to invite her to Yeah, she court. can't just go up to him and be like, hey, let's hang out today. Like, she only can be in the king's presence. If he invites her. And if she tries to go in the king's presence without him calling her, they had, like, this tradition. The king had a scepter. If he held out his scepter, that meant, okay, yeah, come hang out with me. You're good. Come on in. If he did not, you'd get executed. Like, just die. It doesn't matter. Just depending, the... and these weren't like some easygoing kings. These were kings that were angry kings, sinful kings, like debaucherous, drinking. It would have been no shock if you would have been like execute her. Just like, get another one. Yeah, you know, like the women were 
disposable. And he had lots and lots of concubines. I mean, Esther was his concubines. wife. Concubines. Concubines are like. Just, <laughs> concubines. What did I say? He said concubines. 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 <laughs> oh Usually you have to uh, correct my grammar. That's I know. Like. I just am getting so excited about this story. But so, thank you, Rachel. yeah. So one of his close advisors just like hates the Jewish people, hates them. And for some reason hates Mordecai and Well, because Mordecai lot... had some favor with the king and that's why Yeah, so there's a lot it, more um, details to the story. Haman? Yeah, Haman just yeah. hated Haman's him. the bad guy. So he makes this decree that on a certain day genocide. Like that's all it is, that every Jewish person would be killed. For no reason. And the king just puts it in with his signet ring. Now, when the king made a decree and it would go out with his signet ring, that meant you cannot just take it back. You cannot revoke that law. So not only Esther not knowing, like, ugh, what am I supposed to do? She listened to her uncle, and he said, you need to go and talk to the king. And my favorite line from that is when she's telling him, like, he hasn't called me in months. Like, when am I supposed to go talk to him? And he's like, you need to go. And she says, uh, I could be killed. Like, she's putting her life on the line. And he says, the Lord will deliver the Israelites because many, many years ago, the Lord had made a covenant with the Israelites that they would that they would grow in numbers and that Jesus Christ would come from their line. So they can't be destroyed, you know. But it was still scary. And he said, the Lord will deliver us. You but were made for such a time made, for, as this. Yes, you were made for such a time as this. And I feel like that's relevant to all of us in our daily walk with the Lord. What I love, too, he says this afterwards. He says, if you don't, God will rise up another. But yeah. you were made for such a time like, as this. This is your destiny. Like, but at the same time, she had to choose it, right? Yeah. You could save a whole nation. But that's how the Lord works is he gives us those choices. Because it would be really scary to go to be a kind of powerless woman in that culture you didn't have a lot of even the queen of the entire country mm -hmm. did not have a lot of power read about what happened to Xerxes first wife and you'll see like oh yeah women had no power mm -hmm. and I love the next thing that Esther does is she requires all of her like ladies in waiting I don't know what you call them but all of her female servants and eunuchs and all these people she requires and then she says all everybody needs to fast and pray for the next and three days. I think that's a good example when we're coming up against something is take time to fast and pray. Don't be rash about it. So she didn't run to the king's quarters and say, hey, save my people. She needed wisdom mm -hmm. and she needed time to figure out what she was supposed to do. And what was so cool then is when she finally decided to go to the king, he put out his scepter to her. And accepted her. And accepted her. Yeah, and she threw like this big banquet and like kind of like buttered him up. And yeah, all she didn't just stuff. go in and say, save the people. She yeah. she invited him and Haman, the bad guy, to a special banquet, entertains them for days on end, and then says, you know, there's someone who's doing this evil thing. And when Xerxes finds out about it, he is mad and... Well, and it's funny because he's like, I'll ask me what you want for. I'll give you everything up to half your kingdom. And then she said that all her people were going to be murdered and there was this decree out. And he said, who did that? And she pointed to Haman. He was who was at the table with them like... Drinking wine oh and like eating his food, having a good old time. And the king was furious. And then he like went to beg at her feet like please queen don't let him kill me and then the king says are you trying to get with my wife too and then it said Haman's face looked as good as dead like and he already five knew. minutes later he was as good as dead so and we've talked about before like they couldn't 
take back just a law. So what the king did then put a new law that the Jewish people could defend themselves against the soldiers and everything. And so they've covered that law. And then it says in the Bible that not one Israelite was lost. And it's crazy because then they even like were blessing because anytime God was behind them in battle, the Israelites were like miraculously, sometimes mm -hmm. they didn't even have to fight and they were saved, you know? And so um, Esther's obedience to the Lord mm -hmm. saved her people and they like celebrated it as a holiday in Jewish tradition continuing on after that to celebrate the day that the remnant in Israel was was protected and from that line came Jesus and our saving today mm -hmm. us as Christians today and I just think about I wonder about our daughters I'm like why did they have to go through so much pain mm -hmm. in their adoption stories to get to us and the Lord's like they were made for such a time as this yeah Mm -hmm. Serbia was supposed to come from across the world to live in America for such a time as this. And our responsibility as her parents are not to make her life comfortable and safe. I mean, well, we do need to keep our children safe. Don't hear me wrong. But we're not just supposed to keep them so comfortable and so protected all the time. They never feel any pain. Mm -hmm. Mordecai wasn't like, run away, Esther. We're going to be killed. He said, Esther, stand up for your people. Yeah. And he gave her godly counsel. And... We had to, we need to do that as parents. Well, and she spent time fasting mm -hmm. and praying, and he didn't tell her to do that. That was her own thing. She's like, okay, I need you to tell everyone you know to fast and pray. So not only did he raise her as an adoptive parent, he raised her in the things of the Lord. So I feel like God has gifted me this child, and my duty as a parent is to have her fall so madly in love with the Lord that she has no fear to where he's going to take her. Mm -hmm. And she has no fear for man. Like, she does not. She does not fear man at all. She is bold. She is strong. Like, she's like your typical CEO personality, you know. <laughs> but, but that has to be tempered with the Lord. But that's why we've been telling her, okay, we need to teach you the things of the Lord so you're so madly in love with the Lord so you can do the hard things that God's going to ask you to do. Because he's going to ask our kids to do hard things, but look at the blessing that comes from those hard things. Look at the legacy that comes from those hard things. It's hard for us to believe. I read about this mission, this woman whose son became a missionary, and she was like, God, don't make my son leave to the mission field. And then she was like convicted because she was like, Oh my gosh, I'm trying to like pray that God's will will not be done in my child's life. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I need to pray for his protection and I need to pray for these things. But I can't protect that. I can't pray that God will keep him here because that is against God's will. Mm -hmm. And that is hard. It's like God's will for Esther was for her life to be put on the line for her people. Mm -hmm. And she was brave and she did it. She did not want to do it. She was scared. Yeah, and at first she even kind of was like, uh, is this something I really have to do? And that's why it's like, you were born for such a time as this. It's no yeah. coincidence that you, a Jewish woman, ended up in the castle as queen. Yeah. That's the story of Esther. You can find, it's a very short little book, but there's so much packed in there um, that Israelites all survive, and it's happily ever after. But you got to read. Spoil alert. It's in <laughs> Esther. Yeah. Um, all these stories are about to be spoiled for you. But that's in the book of Esther. Um, so we've talked about an open adoption with Moses. We've talked about a relative adoption with Mordecai. And now we're going to talk about a step-parent adoption. And this is really funny because we kind of joke about this. 
But when you think about it, it's true. Jesus was adopted mm-hmm. by yeah. his stepdad, Joseph. He is, Joseph is not biologically related to Jesus. Yeah. And we forget about that, but that's so true. He's, he is the son of God who the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and impregnated her. So Mary, yes, is the biological mom. She carried him. She birthed him. But remember, Joseph thought she was being promiscuous and wanted to divorce her when he found out she was pregnant during their engagement. But then an angel came to Joseph and said, hey, no, this is the son of God. Like, I mean, literally, you he, imagine that? he had to have so much faith to trust God. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and he was trying to protect Mary. He wanted to divorce her quietly because in his mind she cheated on him and did this horrible thing before marriage but he knew she would be stoned if he made it public and so he didn't he want her still to get loved killed her enough to want to do it in secret but then he took her on as a wife and you all know the story of Jesus and the heartache of being born in a barn and having to flee for their lives because Herod called for a death decree on all the males so this story is in Matthew Mark Luke and John and obviously it's told throughout the whole New Testament and it's mm-hmm. prophesied tons of it is prophesied in Isaiah it's I mean obviously the story of Jesus starts in Genesis but the actual story where you can read about Joseph um, is in uh, Matthew Matthew yeah bless you you got a little sneezer in the other room that's five sneezes but um, Joseph does not treat Jesus like he's not his son he gives he protects Mary and Jesus because back then women didn't have any like rights. So a, mm-hmm. a single woman pregnant would could be stoned. Like there was yeah. no protection for her. So Joseph married her and took care of her and did and not, not only did he protect her, he listened to the Lord. Every mm-hmm. time the Lord was like, Get up and go, he got up and went. He didn't argue with him, he didn't say, Oh, we just had this long journey and had a baby and we're tired and you're making us go again. Mm-hmm. He trusted the Lord every step of the way. Yeah, and I think it's hard for, like, we, I think step-parent adoption is pretty normal nowadays. I feel like that's probably the biggest group of adoptees is, I mean, whether you legally adopt your stepchildren, when you marry someone who already has a kid that's not biologically related to you, there is something that has to happen in your heart to well, like adopt that child as your own. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be on paper. And I think about too, <laughs> like Disney has given step parents a really bad rap because you think of the evil stepmom from Cinderella. Yes. And but it's like, it's not always like that. And I do know there are stories where there's brokenness in the family and the step parent steps in and it's. But we have like personal friends who are such good step parents, love their stepchildren as their own, and. They become the new mom or the new dad or, you know, we have family members who's the de- who's gotten married with people who've had kids and have illegally adopted them as their own. And it would be no different when they have their more children with each other. It's just, it's no different, you know? Yeah, and of course it'd be pretty easy to love Jesus as your kid who's sinless and... <laughs> But also, Jesus got to be part of a true his, family yeah. and his legacy. Like he taught him, Jesus was a carpenter because so, his dad was his his stepdad. I should say biological. His biological God was dad was God, right? Yeah, he's, it's weird to think he, about. He's a creator. Like, <laughs> I guess he's all of our dads <laughs> yeah. too. But it's you guys know what we mean. We're kind of getting silly here, but 
he was a carpenter because his stepdad was a carpenter. And that was normal in the culture to do what your dad did. Yeah, you learned your trade of your parents. And so he was totally encapsulated by his father mm-hmm. that raised him. And they don't talk a lot about Joseph much in the Bible after he... It talks about the last time I think they mentioned Joseph is when Jesus is 12 years old and he gets left at the temple for like three days and then his parents are like where's jesus and they have to go back and they find him in the temple like learning and he tells his parents like don't you know i'm doing my father's work like i had to be in my father's home like and at 12 years old is when the sons usually started the apprenticeship with whatever their whether it was a blacksmith whether it was a shepherd like that's the age that they would oh, I never start about doing it that. that way yeah so jesus had started his father's work you know become like an apprentice in the temple but then it said he went home and obeyed his parents so, so he was walking in both of his father's footsteps in mm-hmm. his in god what god was calling him to do and what he would later be his ministry but also his earthly father which was his stepdad yeah and i just love being like oh you know, he was a humble carpenter, like his father. Mm-hmm. And his father must have taught him some really great things. Like, obviously, he's the son of God, so he was perfect. But he learned skills from his stepfather. And he also learned, like, how normal working people are. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we see these pictures of Jesus and Jesus in these old movies, and he's like, I am Jesus, and I have a British accent for some reason. <laughs> and, and we think of Jesus as this, like, really posh, really, clean, like, clean but he was a working man. He knew mm-hmm. what the normal people he were He knew like. how to have sweat on his brow. And he was a human being in every single way. Mm-hmm. He got hungry. He got tired. He, you know, and I think about that. And um, and he had a mom and a dad. Mm-hmm. And he had a family that started kind of in brokenness. Because even though Joseph believed Jesus was the son of God, how many of their relatives and their neighbors thought that, Mary oh, yeah. Was... Thought Mary was promiscuous. Oh, here's this girl who got pregnant young before she was even married. And it doesn't mention any of their other family in the Bible. They were alone. And back in the Jewish culture, that's not how a birth went when a new baby came, and especially a son. Your aunties like, and mommies and sisters. There. Everybody's everyone. celebrating. You never moved far away from who you, your family. So Jesus's parents, Mary and Joseph, did not have the support that a normal Jewish family would have had. Well, and if you think about it, our pastor said something that really made sense. They were going back to Bethlehem for the census. That that was a law that the king had made to count the people to know how many people. So that means Joseph's family was from Bethlehem and that there was no room for him anywhere. Like none of his relatives had an open door. Nobody could bring him in. No, instead he had to be in somebody's barn. And so it kind of just shows that their family had kind of turned their backs on them. Yeah, which sometimes when we choose to follow the Lord, that's what happens. It's hard. It's Jesus even said, let the dead bury the dead, you know. When he's but, like, I mean, can you believe that you can't really blame the other people that didn't have faith? There was literally never another time in history where someone had a baby from God. And so, said, oh, it was the Holy Spirit. Like, like a virgin having a baby. That has never happened again and never happened up until this point you know what I'm saying Mm -hmm. so it was a miracle and it was hard for people to believe so they did have to do it alone and Joseph had to he had to lead his family bravely and protect them and hide them and save them yeah but God provided everything even with the gold frankincense and myrrh like he probably needed those to use as money 
and to because that stuff was highly highly expensive mm -hmm. items and he had to travel so much and so that's one way he was able to provide for his family like the lord when you walk in obedience the lord blesses that yeah well let's move on to the next one so that story is in matthew mark luke and john and kind of throughout the new testament throughout the bible but um I thought this one was kind of interesting and kind of weird, but also really cool, is an adult adoption. Mm -hmm. So this does not happen very often, but we do know people in foster care who will adopt teenagers that are about to, to um, what's age out of the system, mm -hmm. and then it's just help them, because it's sad, let's say you go through, Rachel's talked about this a little bit, let's say you go through all foster care, you turn 18, suddenly you're a young adult and you don't have a family. Mm -hmm. And how many of you guys were ready to be an adult right at 18 without yeah, any Yeah, so help? there are some people who will adopt a child when they're about to turn 18. But you can also adopt after your child is 18. So it's not like a legal guardianship like you would do here. What you would do is you would change your name and legally become next of kin. So that people. has happened before. So then if, like, you're adopted parent dies or something you have legal rights to their estate and things mm -hmm. like that but it's like you become adopted and then we see it a ton in the church it's unofficial where people who don't have families get adopted by older people in the church and they just say you're going to come to our house on christmas if you need someone to help you move we're going to be your family yeah well and even myself like my parents and my husband's parents live far away so we don't my, art, my daughter doesn't get grandparents in her every day. So we have people in the church that she calls Papa and Grandma. And there's people in our church who have just adopted her as their granddaughter. Even mm -hmm. Natalie's mother-in-law has adopted Ariana as her granddaughter. She's like, like call me Nana. I'll make you clothes. Yeah. And she has these little tags. She sews in them and said, um, made by Nana. Made with oh, love from Nana. And Ariana just loves her. And I, we have she has really good grandparents on both sides. It's just hard when they live far away because she only sees them once or twice But a there year. are some people that have very broken families. It's not safe for them to be around mm -hmm. their biological families. So they have to find um, an adult. As an adult, they need to be adopted by an actual like healthy Christian family. Mm -hmm. And there is an example of that in the Bible, and that is Naomi and Ruth. Yes. So if you don't know the story, it's in the book of Ruth. It's another real short, good one. Mm -hmm. Anyways... Um, so Ruth was married to Naomi's son and Naomi and her children and her husband, they were all Israelites, um, Hebrews, but, um, Naomi's husband died and then her two sons died and she had two daughters-in-law and they, no one had had kids yet. Um, so there'd been no heirs and how it worked back then is if you were a widow, a woman whose husband died, your sons would take care of you. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, but if you had no sons, and no grandchildren, no heirs. She'd lost everything. You'd have, you'd be destitute. And what would happen if you were a, um, so Ruth and her sister-in-law were both Moabites and they married Israelites. What would happen if your husband died and you didn't have any children, you would just go back and be like you were unmarried with your family and, and you could remarry again mm -hmm. and go have a new family. So Ruth told her, her both of her daughters-in-laws, she said, Go back to your original family. Naomi did. Naomi, Sorry, yeah. Ruth is the daughter-in-law. Sorry, yeah, Naomi. Naomi said Ruth and 
Orpa, was it Orpa? I think it was Orpa, yeah. She said, you guys need to go back. Like, even if I had sons and you waited for them to grow up, you would be old women by the time they'd be ready for marriage. Because that was another thing you did. If your husband died, you would marry one of his brothers that they would have to marry you. Yeah, but it they... was kind of the law. Like, they had, it was like your, it was your duty to take on your brother's wife. Because women had so few rights and couldn't provide or protect themselves you know so it was a protection thing mm -hmm. but Naomi's like I don't have any more sons to give you I don't have a husband to have any more sons I'm old like your best chance is to go back to your biological families and then remarry within your own tribes mm -hmm. and Orpa did go back which she totally had every legal yeah, right she to. did but then Ruth said where you go I'll go and mm -hmm. Ruth just cried with her mother-in-law and she loved well, so did her Orpa. they all yeah the they all cried, cried they, together. they were very close Mm -hmm. women they were like deep close relationships and Ruth followed Naomi back so, to her yeah. home and was a foreigner which a foreigner in Bible times was like the lowest of lows yeah and like you didn't have the protections of citizenship you didn't have the protection of family so Ruth had every right to go back to her biological family and have a chance to remarry mm -hmm. but she loved Naomi so much she said we we even though we don't have a blood tie like we are going to be that i'm yeah. going to serve your god where you go i go where you like who you serve i will serve mm -hmm. and god blessed her because there, it's pretty complicated and but um there's this thing called like kinship redemption in israel where like if you the next closest family member can take you as a wife and you know and so she ended up with a really hunky husband and, and Boaz but I mean she wasn't technically an Israelite by blood she mm -hmm. was adopted as an adult you know through marriage but then her marriage was gone but she was still adopted into the Israelite community mm -hmm. and she was able to be redeemed by this really handsome wonderful man named Boaz and then she became King David's great or no King David's grandmother yeah yeah, so she was king. They had Obed and then Jesse and then David. So, so she great was great grandma. grandma. But yeah, she, how cool is that? Like the literally direct line of Jesus Christ. And this is another example. Even though Na uh, Ruth was an adult, she trusted Naomi's like parental advice. And mm -hmm. Naomi said, "Go do this. Boaz will take care of us because he's our closest relative." Mm -hmm. But she didn't see. She didn't. Naomi didn't see Ruth as like. Just this tagalong daughter, the, daughter yeah. law. She saw her as her own. Yeah, and she said, oh, you know, we're going to be redeemed. And because of it, Boaz, he um, marries Ruth, but then he also, like, kind of adopts Naomi as his mother-in-law, mm -hmm. even though Naomi and Ruth weren't biologically related. And now all. these two women who had nothing, and Ruth would go out in the fields and glean the harvesters, like, mm -hmm. what that meant was... When they do the harvest, she would gather any left over behinds, which, which was like really shameful, and it was hot, before. and it was dangerous because a lot of women would get taken advantage of by the workers. And mm -hmm. but God just protected her. Boaz and now, sent people to protect her and make sure no one took advantage of her. He would ask them to leave extra harvest behind so she could glean, and because it was a hard, hot work, and um, the whole story is so beautiful. so it is beautiful and full theme of almost the whole Bible is adoption. And before we go into some of those, more of those adoption verses, I did want to talk about one more story. Hannah, we talked about her in, we talked about her in, um, the infertility podcast. In the infertility podcast, she was infertile. And remember, if you were a woman without an heir, you were kind of 
in a very vulnerable spot. It wasn't just these women wanting to be mothers. It was like, it's kind of like with Naomi and Ruth. It was you, like your, it was your worth. Yeah. You know, that's what you were supposed to do as a woman. And so she said, if I'm Lord for this child, I prayed. And that's on Serby's wall. Um, cause for this child, we prayed and prayed it's on and Ariana's prayed. wall too, on her yeah. like, little and adoption corner. Hannah gives Samuel to Eli, which would kind of be an older child adoption because she raises Samuel for a while. And then she gives him to Eli in the temple and Eli had children. They were wicked. His mm-hmm. sons were supposed to grow up and be priests, and they were wicked, evil. They were stealing from the house of the Lord. They were promiscuous. They were doing stuff sexually in the temple. Yeah. They were just evil, evil people. And Eli um, brings, adopts basically Samuel into this kind of crazy world. And Samuel still learns to trust in the Lord and hear his voice and come running when God says, he says, God, here I am. Use me. And Lord, your servant is listening. And how hard was that after Hannah had given everything to the Lord? Literally, the only thing she ever wanted was a son. And she gave that to the Lord. And that was like an adoption because she knew that's what she was supposed to do. And she trusted Eli to raise her son apart from her in. Yeah. Every year she'd go and make her sacrifices to the temple and she'd get to see him and bring him gifts. And, but then Samuel became one of the greatest prophets. Mm-hmm. He's the one who prophesied over David coming, you know, like and anointed David as King. I mean, he was a great man in the Bible. So I, I think we just see that God uses these stories of these people that went through such hardship, such brokenness, and he uses their adoption story to do great, great things. And in the New Testament, there aren't like specific stories, and maybe if there are, you guys can message us and tell us about them, but what we see a lot in the New Testament is God promising, and the Old Testament, God promising to be a father Mm -hmm. and calling Christians to be fathers and mothers to those who have none. Mm -hmm. I love it in 2 Corinthians 6.18, and I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And then in John 1, 12 and 13, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, we're talking about God, he, Jesus, you know, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, mm. but born of God. Oh, I love that. I love that one, because it's, it's the flesh. Like, we're actually born again. We have a heart that was stone, and it becomes flesh. We were orphans, abandoned in the wilderness, and now we have a family. Well, and then my favorite, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. My favorite, favorite one, and Rachel, I made her a sign that says this that's in her house because through all the f- kids they fostered, even if they only had them for a night, I feel like you did this. But it says in Psalm 68, 5 and 6, a father to the fatherless, a defender of a widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He heeds out the prisoners with singing. He, sorry, he leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. And I think it's like that, I, I almost want, we, we as Christians always like to cut out the hard part of the verse, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. We don't want to say that part. We just want to say the good because part. Because it is a choice. But For it is us, a choice is to a be choice. in the family of God. And we get the full inheritance. And just like when you bring a child home after you've adopted them, they don't have to like 
do earn. all these chores and like, okay, what do I need to do to earn my keep? It's like, no, you are my family. You are a part of my home. Jesus already made the sacrifice. He already gave up his life so that we could choose to be part of that family. And we have, we get to choose. But at the end, we get an inheritance of eternal life to walk the streets of gold, foundations made with every kind of precious ruby. I mean, you come to the mountain with thousands upon thousands of angels singing. And I feel like if you are a Christian, the Bible doesn't just say like, oh, maybe you should look after orphans. It commands you to look after orphans and widows in their distress. So I'm kind of calling out Christians to have a heart for adoption it doesn't mean you need to go out and adopt it doesn't mean you need to um, do all these things and become a foster parent but maybe what is God calling you in your walk on how you support that heart of adoption and that heart because you can give money to an adoption or if you don't have the finances you can help an adopted parent make meals for them when they first bring their child home um, help them with therapy appointments with the foster parents you know if you have the hand-me-downs from your kids and you know that they're having lots of kids come in and out of their house buying clothes all the time can become cumbersome like bring extra nice clothes that you have instead of taking it to goodwill or instead of reselling it take them to there's lots of ways. There's so it's an insurmountable way. Or if you felt God tugging on your heart, hey, I've thought about adoption. That little little tiny place in your heart that says, I think I want to adopt. Go to it. Don't run from it. Go to it and say, okay, God, where can I play a role in this? Am I supposed to adopt? So if you feel a tug in your heart that you want to adopt, that you maybe had that little, I think I want to adopt. Don't run from it. Don't be afraid from it. Go onto your knees and say, Lord, why is this on my heart? Because he put it on your heart for a reason. And any, you know, any good thing that it comes from God. So if you say, oh, these are my own thoughts. No, the flesh, your own flesh isn't saying, maybe I want to adopt because that's hard. That's Maybe it would start it, but it wouldn't give you strength to continue and finish the process because it is too hard to do it without God. I mean, it really is. So go to your knees and say, Lord, where do you want me? Where do you want me to start? Do you want me to go to a class? Do you want me to talk to somebody? But don't run from it. Pursue that and let God build up this fiery passion inside you to want to change the next generation. Well, here's the beautiful thing too, is it said God sets the lonely in families. And all the people we talked about today had to make really difficult decisions. Mm -hmm. Are we going to be comfortable Christians that just let life happen to us and we just don't try anything hard or new even if the Lord's calling us to. Rachel said it earlier in the podcast, if it's really the Lord's will, if you took the time, if you prayed and fasted and you really feel like God's calling you to it, He will bless you. Mm -hmm. Will it be easy? No. I think that's a thing we get confused about in our culture that if it's God called it to us, it'll be easy. Mm -mm. No, Mm -hmm. it's kind of the opposite. Was it easy for Jochebed to put her son in a river? Mm Mm-mm. Was it easy for Esther to go to her husband and pray that she wouldn't be executed? Mm-mm. No. Was, was it, it easy e- for Hannah, after years and years and years of trying to have a child, to give her child back to the Lord? Or for Naomi to leave the only home she ever knew, to f- go into an, a foreign land and be destitute? Mm-hmm. None of those things were easy. 
Was it easy for Joseph to trust the Lord and trust his wife and raise some, a son that wasn't biologically his? Mm-hmm. In a culture where that was not common. That was mm-hmm. not something you did. And do it without family, without mm-hmm. all the support of family. Mm-hmm. They had to give up so much, every single one of them. But what was the, what happened on, on the other side? Every single one of them was completely blessed and left a huge legacy and ended up in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's pretty cool when yeah. your story ends up in the Bible. I think what all this comes down to in the big, big schema thing is when we talk about adoption and why people's hearts just kind of light up with adoption and say, oh, I've thought about adoption. I've Because we are all adopted into God's kingdom. God's heart is for the next generation. And God's heart is for adoption. Time and time again, the Bible talks about, I mean, the biggest main one for adoption we know we find in James 1, 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, there's so many. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. Um, that's in Psalms 68.5. And my one of my favorite ones in Psalm 27.10 is, Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. So for even those children who don't find a forever family and are forsaken by their mother and fathers and don't get to be adopted, they are still going to get, if they choose, it's still a choice, can still get the inheritance of God, which is eternal life. And that's beautiful. Like, the Lord will receive you always. Yeah, and I love, there's, yeah, there is a lot of stories in the in the Bible about adoption. We all have an opportunity to be adopted and have all the inheritance that God would give an actual son and daughter. And we also have the opportunity to to, walk away. Yeah, it's a choice. But we also have the opportunity to have a spirit of adoption, a heart Mm -hmm. for adoption, because we know that the Lord has a heart for adoption. We want to, we want, we, there's that song that says, break my heart for what breaks yours. We want our hearts to be broken for what breaks God's heart. So then we're moved into action. And honestly, fatherlessness breaks God's heart. Mm-hmm. And we don't have a ton of kids that are orphans in the sense that they are literally without a mom and dad. Their mom and dad are dead. But we do have orphans everywhere. We mm-hmm. have kids where their mom works three jobs and so they never see them. And they need someone in the church to just kind of come alongside that single mom or whatever it is and be a dad to them or maybe it's a step parent maybe it's an older child maybe you're an, an empty nester and you see a young adult that is just so lonely mm-hmm. and they need someone to invite them over on Thanksgiving yeah because that's the thing if you don't have a family like a, a biological family to go home to maybe they're not safe maybe they don't want you what are you going to do? Just because you're an adult doesn't mean you don't want a family anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, or maybe it's a young couple that that both come from broken families and they need an older couple to show them how to be a healthy family, how yeah. to raise children. Because honestly, we see it in our generation a lot. A lot of these young moms are like, I was abused as a kid. I don't know how to raise children. Mm-hmm. You know, or the teen mom that's like, I'm 17. I'm a child. I don't know how to raise a child. Yeah. So the spirit of adoption is just to look at someone else who's not biologically related to you and if it's the Lord's will 
to invite them into your family. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say God places orphans in families. It said God places the lonely in families. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of lonely people that need to be placed in families. Mm -hmm. It needs to be done safely. It needs to be done with healthy boundaries and, and wisdom and wisdom. prayer and fasting. But the Lord, just take time to spend time with the Lord and ask him where you can play that role in your life. Oh, we didn't even have time to talk about. We have some adoptees that are from modern day, but I think we will save that for another episode and um, bring that to you because we talked about adoptees in the Bible today, but we would love to come back. And if you have any um, like modern day adoption stories, we want to talk about people like Simone Biles and Eleanor um, Roosevelt, and Babe Ruth. Like, yeah, there are a lot are of uh, people who are adopted and went on to do amazing things in the world. So we would love to hear if you guys have any ideas of people you want us to research and talk about. Um, but I think we're probably going to have to wrap this one up because it's already yeah, getting long. But as always, you guys, check us out on Facebook. We write a lot of blogs. You can find us on Instagram, Instamamasnet and Ratch. And you can find email us on. Us. Oh, yeah. Email us at Instamamas19 at gmail.com. Uh, please go and rate our podcast. That really helps us out a lot. iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, all these random. Like yeah, wherever your you podcast platform is, you can most likely find us. Yeah. So um, just thank you so much, and we appreciate it. Thanks for listening.